Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. I am thrilled to present this edition on the rebirth of Fantasmic at Disney's Hollywood Studios in Walt Disney World. My torrid love affair with this beloved entertainment classic is a long one. I'll share my experience with Fantasmic and what this attraction is like behind the scenes. We'll talk about its sister shows, yes, there's more than just Disneyland, and how they compare. We'll talk about the challenges this attraction has faced over the years, and then go through a scene-by-scene discussion of how this show now fares. We also consider that this may be the best entertainment offering at Walt Disney World. You won't want to miss this podcast because after all is said and done, it's fantastic or fantasmic. Make sure you also check out my DisneyAtPlay.com website where I will have uh, videos not only of Fantasmic, but also of the Disneyland version, which I recently took at D23, and actually um, the final scenes of another Fantasmic that I'll talk a little bit about later on. Well, as I said, I go back a long way. Actually, I go back to even before opening of this attraction. Back in the days when I was working for Walt Disney World, one of my jobs was to always seek out new kinds of experiences that we could take business groups to when they visited the property. And one of the the best experiences that I ever had the opportunity to work with was the team at Tower of Terror. And the woman who was really over the whole operation of Tower of Terror and who got that show up and running as well as, as well as I believe as um, Rock and Roller Coaster, also created, um, was on the operational side of getting Fantasmic up and running uh, during that time. So I actually was walking the stage area and the guest area oh, well before opening. Um, in fact, I remember one of my first, it was, it was a pretty warm day, probably early in October, and it was a pretty warm day, and it was the middle of the day, and I kept thinking, why are they not providing any shading for this huge arena? Turns out that maybe that wasn't the most important thing they needed, but what they did need was a separate and designated theater and sitting area. And I think that's one of the things that really sets this show apart from the others, is that you are not just, that there is a dedicated venue for doing this show. Um, I was there on what I believe was opening night. Now, some people will say it's October 15th. I think that was a preview night. I think the official opening night was October 16th of 1998. If you go to that date, that is the 75th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of focus on um, that anniversary. In fact, D23 wasn't even created at that time. There was some merchandise at that time around um, the 75th, and I have some of that. But... Needless to say, we've gone through a period of, well, you can, you can see the numbers. We've gone through 25 years of Fantasmic. 
Um, in trying to consider whether this might be a venue for doing a backstage tour or something of that nature, I had the chance to tour back of the house. And <clears throat> the first thing I remember visiting was the costuming area, the whole dressing room costuming area, massive costumes, um, all the character costumes that were needed for the show. The one that stood out above all the rest was the was Belle's costume um, um, from uh, the show. And I, I mentioned that because as I recall, in the discussion of the costume, there had been an event um, way back, I th well, it was around 1995, in which um, Al Gore and um, and his wife had dressed up as Belle and Beast for a costume. And they had asked Disney for um, someone to actually come and and dress them up. Well, at any rate, they ended up getting a... Uh, it kind of came uh, public that they had done this party and that these things had been done for them and that as government, they should be paying for it out of pocket and not getting freebies from Disney. So they ended up with a, a bill that was well over $8,000. As I recall looking at for the for the costumes that they wore for this event, as I re recall looking at this costume, if you look carefully, this is the most beautiful Belle costume that is in all of the costumes out there, even better than Beauty and the Beast next door. And as I recall, the price tag I heard on that costume was around $30,000, which 25 years ago was, um, well, was still a lot of money, was a lot of money back then. But that was the quality of the workmanship that had been done on all of the the costuming. And I, I, I stepped onto the island. There is basically what there is, is there are um, bridges that step over to the island and then you pull them up so that the boats can kind of go through as they do the show boats there were boats and barges and then the canoes for the pocahontas scene and i remember going downstairs in underneath it's a very tight area and everything has a very dedicated purpose to it you saw the lift area where mickey is and i hope i'm not creating spoilers I should have given maybe a spoiler alert here um, but you know Mickey um, jumps out at the very beginning of the show and and at the very end of the show and you see that section that is the same section that the old um, hag uses to switch out between as I recall it seems to me eh, maybe not yeah no I think they were the same places where um, the old hag and the cauldron were switched out um, in the show. And, um, but uh, what really caught my attention was this gun rack, uh, the secured gun rack, uh, fortified gun rack for the muskets that were used in the Pocahontas scene. And these muskets were massive. They are heavy beasts and long. And I remember... Um, thinking about how interesting that was that they were using actual muskets. Well, you know, they shot blanks and, and executed powder, but they um, 
and and that was part of the show scene that they had dedicated to this. The, people wonder why the original show had so much Pocahontas in it. Well, the Pocahontas, when Pocahontas came out, Disney did a show on what was the backstage lot theater in the streets of America. And it actually was a fairly successful show. Um, and it was really kind of a beautiful show the way they did. I thought it was well done. Um, what ended up happening is it was taken over by Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast was originally in a theater that was just adjacent to where the Starbucks is, and kind of between Starring Rolls, which is now closed, or the Brown Derby, and and the Starbucks. There was no uh, Sunset Boulevard back then. And so the whole Sunset Boulevard with the tower and all of that was yet to be done. And the original theater was there. That's where Beauty and the Beast premiered. But they needed to build out Sunset Boulevard, which means taking down that theater. It was moved and replaced Pocahontas. And then ultimately moved again and re where Hunchback then took over the Backlot Theater and Pocahontas moved onto Sunset Boulevard in a much nicer venue. But the, the casualty in all that was Pocahontas. And people liked the Pocahontas show. The elements, the tree... Mother Willow and elements of that show moved over to Disney's Animal Kingdom and incorporated live animals as part of the show. Yeah, I don't think there were live animals in the original studio show. And um, any rate, I think there was a feeling like, oh, we still need to have some Pocahontas element because that was a big part of the studios. I think that's how it ended up being a big part of the show. Um, and here are these muskets underneath the, the stage floor. Um, another thing that really caught my eye is Maleficent appears and then she rises above. And actually what that is, is two scissor lifts that are stacked on top of each other. And I'm telling you, they, I, 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 that is the worst role I would ever take at Walt Disney World is being in that Maleficent. Uh, position because that scissor lift just the slightest wind looks like it's well I don't even think you need wind and it still feels like it's it's kind of moving back and forth and you then you have all this heavy costuming that drapes the scissor lift as it goes up it is a it's a it's a creature in and of itself speaking of creatures in and of itself another thing that really stood out in the show is uh the dragon and the dragon is has actually been replaced once over the years. Um, it the, the second version is a better dragon, not as good as others, and we'll talk about that a little later. But the dragon is actually, as I recall, it was kind of a train track kind of thing that it kind of pulled out. But it may have been on wheels, and it may have been just simply um, a, um, a lift-type um, what do you, uh, crane, a crane that actually comes undone. So one of the, one of the problems with the show and, and, uh, it's still, I would say the thing I don't like about the show is how long the villain scene is and, uh, you know, all the night on bald mountain and the ghosts and all that. It just goes on and on and on and on. Well, it goes on and on and on and on because it takes time to pull the dragon out from the back and then um, and then start to have the dragon 
um, go up and appear. And it just takes a while. And then you have to reverse it at the end of it and pull the train dragon back back in there. So really, um, really a very involved activity. And, and to fill it, they throw a lot of imagery onto the uh, the water screens. Now, that was another thing I saw underneath was the projectors for those water screens. Um, they have changed out and and they are more digital now than they were um, when they first started. And actually the images are very clear in the new version of the show. If I should mention one other thing, it's that again, there were canoes for the Pocahontas scene. There was the Steamboat Willie uh, ship that um, where all the characters appear. And then there were three barges um, that were a part that were used for with monkeys in the animal scene, the jungle scene, and then with princesses in the uh, later um, uh, princess scene. And one of the things that has re was really frustrating is that uh, for the last year and a half, and I, this is you could see prior to COVID a lot of things kind of going broke. And for a, the better part of the year, there were not three barges coming out with princesses. There were only two. And the one that was missing was usually Snow White, which didn't make any sense because that's the that's the tie-in to the, the Quicked Queen, I mean the Wicked Queen uh, section of the show with the old hag. And so things like that just really that's why it was so frustrating to go see this show because there were elements that were just clearly missing um in this situation and and so i was really thrilled to see the, all three barges back and everything was really working i'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute um i think their intent was to actually improve and repair and fix up Fantasmic prior to COVID. COVID shut everything down and then it was a matter of time before they could really make the kind of repairs needed to really redo the show. And I think having the show down also impacted um, a lot of things that needed to ultimately be fixed in the show. Uh, Fantasmic had been redone at the Disneyland Resort. Most people know Fantasm many people know Fantasmic because of the Disneyland version. And if you're not familiar with that version, um, it is takes place in Disneyland, in Frontierland, or along Frontierland Rivers of America, in that segment of the park. Um, and it and most of the I, the island that you see in the show actually takes place on Tom Sawyer Island. And so they convert the island over to a show experience and they convert the entire promenade along Frontierland, New Orleans into an audience uh, watching area. And that's how the original show was staged. They utilized the Mark Twain steamboat and they utilized the Columbia a sailing ship originally <clears throat> excuse me originally the sailing ship the columbia sailing ship did a scene with peter pan and captain hook which honestly was kind of my my favorite of the two ways the ship is used in the new version they put in 
Captain Jack Sparrow, and they tried to create this kind of sense of the characters turning into skeletons in the moonlight. It, that didn't quite work. Admittedly, it's still an impressive scene. And it's the scene that we're, either way, those scenes are, that ship is missing in this show. And that's how we ended up with the larger Pocahontas a segment of the show. So it's a little, it's a little disappointing you don't have that in um, Walt Disney World. And for that reason, that and and the quality of the dragon, it's been kind of a comparison for a long time who has the better phantasmic. Also, what people don't know is that there is or was a Tokyo Disney Sea version of Phantasmic, and it doesn't have any island per se. It takes place in the Mediterranean Harbor. It's all water, and everything in the show is actually a large, very large barge. And so Mickey, when he's seen at the end, is actually on a barge that looks like a sorcerer hat, and he appears at the top of the hat, and it, it actually becomes the centerpiece of the show. And it's a fascinating, very different show to see. The dragon comes out on its own barge. Everything, everything takes place on boats at Tokyo Disney Sea, and um, it's a very complicated, very difficult to stage show. They have retired the show, and they've put in a new show that's just starting in its place. Um, that show is getting a lot of attention now because the show itself, which I'm sure is is going to be great. It's getting a lot of attention because they're now starting to charge people for um, some of the more premium standing room areas only around around there. Now, charging people for for premium areas, you see that happen all the time at Epcot. It's been going on forever at Illuminations. You see the dessert party over at the Magic Kingdom. Actually, I was one of the first groups, may have been the first, to have done dessert parties at Fantasmic, when they realized that, the, as I recall, the arena holds 7,000 people seated, and they wanted to add a couple more thousand. So what they did is they created these cement um, uh, platforms uh, behind the major walk-through um, areas where everybody goes to actually go into the audience. So it sits up high, and the idea was okay, we could throw overflow back into the to the portion behind this. If they really want to see the show, they can see it from, from that area and potentially add another 2,000 to make it 9,000 in attendance. That's a lot of people, but again, a typical day in Disney's Hollywood Studios could easily be 30,000 or 40,000. So back in the day... And so, but one of the things they they conceived of and, and I took advantage of with my groups was having a dessert party. And it was kind of weird because you're kind of eating dessert in front of everybody who's filing off to go find a seat. But, um, but it was a nice casual way to enjoy the time with everybody. And then you simply had an unobstructed view. It was back in the back of the house, but it was an unobstructed view of the show as it took place. And then you can go back after all the crowds are leaving and finish up. The dessert parties so so there's been a whole operational end to phantasmic to make it work and and one of the challenges i think that people have is that it's 
it has um you know to to really line up to go inside the arena is is not something that that people look forward to and in fact on the opening nights of phantasmic returning last week you saw on twitter and other places large massive crowds going down sunset boulevard and beyond to line up for the show not surprising um I did in truth when I when I got there I did not go the opening night because I was on the cruise and I couldn't make the reservation for that night and so it was it was blocked out by or filled up by the time I made a reservation so I made it for Friday night instead of Thursday night and when I arrived Friday night around sides around 6 p.m maybe 5 30 the thing that struck me first when I got there was oh my goodness there are cars in the parking lot. The number, the percentage of cars in the parking lot have seldom gone more than 30, 40% of the total parking area, which as part of the whole um, building out of Star Wars Galactic Edge, I mean, they took what was a 9,000 car parking lot and made it into more of a 12,000 car parking lot to give enough space to park people. Well, since COVID, there just hasn't been that many cars, uh, which is also one of the reasons why you haven't been seeing trams. The night I came was the first night I had seen that that amount nearly double. Now, mind you, there's still a good third that weren't filled in the back of that lot. And, and it used to be, it used to be at Disney's Hollywood Studios, you would come on a weekend night prior to the reservation system and oh my goodness yeah the entire parking lot was filled and you they you were trying to find some little corner of the lot to park in before you headed toward the tram and headed in again um interesting that the attendance had dramatically increased and and a lot of people going in and that to me was a sign that Disney had dramatically increased the amount of available uh, annual pass holder reservations to come into the park because there have been days where you couldn't get into Disney's Hollywood Studios and yet the parking wasn't that much. Here the parking nearly doubled and guests were getting in. I think they've been able, they've anticipated that guests want to come in at the end of the day. They don't want to do the whole day at the studios. They just want to come in at the end of the day. And so... During the first opening week, they had two shows a night, and they even added a second night last week. I don't know what they're going to do tonight, Monday, uh, uh, Tuesday night. Um, but um, and it's not atypical, especially now that um, um, the clock. You know, we fell forward on the clock over the weekend. And as we go into the holiday season, it's not un—it's—it's it's not unlikely, it's not impossible for there to be three showings of Fantasmic a night, especially when you could start the first one with darkness coming in earlier at six p.m. and then do another one at eight, uh, eight thirty, and another one ten ten thirty in that time frame. So our show, I went to the second show and. I think the first show had filled up totally, but the second show still had about 1,500 seats available in the 7,000 seat portion of the arena. Um, and I have seen even emptier um, 
groups on the second showing. But again, that still means there are, you know, five, six thousand who are wanting to see the show and couldn't get into the first one. So I'm glad that they've had second showings. I hope that they have second showings for a long time to come. And I'll tell you, one of the great things about having a second showing is that if you go to the second showing, then you find that the lines in the rest of the park have gone substantially down. And you can take advantage of that. Um, or vice versa, maybe if you go to the first show and then you head out to those those places afterwards. Or, I tell you what, if you have a second evening, go one night to Fantasmic and the other night just take advantage of lesser crowds in the park. So it's, it's very cool um, how the dynamics and uh, the flow of traffic is really going to be changing with Fantasmic now open. So let me tell you a little bit about my thoughts on the show. Um, again, a little bit of spoiler here. Most of the show is is the same, with the exception of the Pocahontas scene, which has been removed and replaced by five other mini scenes, which I'll talk about in a minute. All that said and done, this show is more beautiful than ever. What you probably won't notice when you first get there is the mountain has somehow grown in the sense that they have now added additional lighting fixtures along the perimeter of the mountain and kind of grown mountain around those lighting cases. And so there are more ways and the, the laser effects. Now they could have done projection on the mountain and heaven knows that we do a lot of projection they chose to use more laser, not that they haven't done that before, but but this was really impressive. The laser, um, uh, the symbol of Mulan on the mountain during her segment, fantastic and so forth. Um, lots of energy around the show starting, the show starts and you just, it is palpable. When Mickey appears for the first time, you just feel the, the, the joy of everybody in the audience. It is so fun. He goes into um, the Fantasia segment <clears throat> where Mickey is kind of throwing uh, stars around and consequently water. And you have the fountains. The fountains look beautiful. The color on the fountains, maybe they finally moved to LED on the fountains, they look beautiful. And um, it's, it's a fan, it isn't, it isn't the number of fountains like World of Color out of Disneyland, but it is impressive. Um, the, the color that is involved in the show. The jungle scene just seemed to pop out more than ever before. It really, it just came and boom, you were there. And it, there was a great deal of energy around it. It really, the Pocahontas scene was the largest uh, staged number of cast members on the stage, the largest number of cast members on the stage in the show. Um, that's gone. In its place, though, not in its place, but but it made you re realize how many cast members are involved in the jungle scene. And not only on the island, but as the monkeys come out, there are two monkeys for each of the barges and they're coming through and the color just pops, the black lighting pops 
it just is stronger in color than I, I ever remember before. You go into the bubble sequence, seems like some of the bubbles were updated with more recent uh, shows, but they had done that not long before COVID. So maybe it had already been done before that. You get to the Monstro scene, of course, uh, water blowing out onto the audience if possible. And then from there, you'll remember in the old show, and it, it would get into this heightened music and you would see a ship on the sea being cast to and fro. And then all of a sudden you'd hear this bang of a gun. And it was one of these muskets being blown or cannons or I don't know what was being blown. And lo and behold, you had the scene with Pocahontas. Well, here you have Pocahontas, but you don't have that scene. What you have instead is just around the river bend and you see her up on the hill. I think they should have kept a canoe and had her going down the, the water. I think that would have been more impressive, but they have her up on the mountain. And then a swirl of leaves from uh, from projections that are going on um, throughout the area. And then it transfers from that, doesn't stay very long on Pocahontas, and goes to a scene from Mulan. I'll make a man out of you. And she is practicing her, um, you know, has the bamboo and is practicing fighting with... Um, the main male character and I sorry didn't didn't look up the name of the character Mushu no is, is it Mushu is it Mushu the dragon so this is see I've got to now look this up um because this is just gonna drive me crazy oh um Li Shang um is is who it is so I assume that's Li Shang that she is practicing with in that scene and the, again, the lighting and the color works really well. It's, it's the dance and the choreography seems kind of distant, but um, people are excited for, for Mulan and that works really well. And then it transfers to Aladdin. And his song is One Jump. And by the way, you'll notice that these are all songs that are not in other shows. Um, and he, so he does One Jump and as part of One Jump, he'll swing across like... Um, like it used to be in Pocahontas with uh, Captain John Smith. And he swings across the mountain while there's some bad guys um, trying to come after him. And that finishes out. And then we go into a scene f with Elsa where she sings Show Yourself from Frozen 2. It's the last scene. In many ways, I kind of like the music from Frozen 2 more than the music from Frozen 1. And this is a powerful scene and she does this transformation of herself uh, as she recall if you recall from Frozen 2 she transforms into this different character in a different costume and everything and the uh, and and uh, all of this occurs on stage and then finally you have Moana and what's really cool is there's this moment where she sings I'm the daughter of the princess or I'm a daughter of the king or whatever um and she steps out into the water and 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 the water responds to her and lights up in color and so forth just a really cool scene i think people are really glad to see moana all that occurs and then tinkerbell comes in does a little transition and then come the princesses out on their barges 
beautiful as ever. Just gorgeous. Um, the scenery, the lighting, everything is just perfect on these princesses and all three barges. And then we transition to the villain scene where we go um, from the Wicked Queen to the Hag. We go into a variety of villains that show up on the Magic Mirror. We eventually go into a scene with um, to see how snake-like he can be with, um, with the big cobra. And Mickey is kind of um, chasing, not cobra. I don't know what kind of snake that was. But anyway, he, it seems like a cobra. And he's, he's chasing, he's running away or trying to get away from the snake. Um, and then it moves into the um, scene uh, uh, from Bald Mountain and Fantasia, Chernabog, and he appears. And then we go into the dragon. I was kind of hoping that there might have been some changes to the dragon. The head of the dragon is really quite impressive. And he shoots out fire, and that's very cool. The rest of the body is kind of um, silk and, and drapings, and it's just not as impressive as the one at Disneyland. But it is a big dragon. It is a bigger dragon than the one you get at Disneyland. It is huge, and it really overtakes that stage. And Mickey and the dragon fight it out, and then upon winning, um, then the fire on the water, all of that, all those elements, all those special effects are playing out there, all played out beautifully. And then we get to the conclusion, which is the characters on Steamboat Willie coming by, followed by Mickey on the mountain and the fireworks and the pyro. I got to tell you, so I grew up and I've talked about the Disney at or Disney on Parade shows, which were stage shows, arena shows that went around the country in the late 60s, early 70s, and how you would see all these Disney characters at one time on stage. It was electrifying. They would all come out. Um, the curtain would go up and they would come out on stage and dance and sing all at one moment, and the, the feeling was electrifying. That's the feeling you get when that barge comes around and you see all of the characters that are listed. I, it is what I counted 35 Disney characters, Mickey and his Steamboat Willie costume, Snow White, the Prince, all seven dwarfs, very few places where you get to see the seven dwarfs. Um, Ariel, Eric, um, Tiana, Prince Naveen, Beauty, Beast, Mary Poppins would have liked to have seen Bert, who used to be in the show, was not in the show. So that was a little disappointing. Moana, though, is there. Mulan is there. Um, um, uh, again, going back to uh, Shang-Chi um, and that character, he's there. Uh, Pinocchio is there. Geppetto is there. Minnie Mouse is there. Um, Goofy is there. Chip and Dale and Pluto are all there. You have Pocahontas there. You have uh, Miko. Um, you have Elsa from the show. You have Rafiki, who's in the animal section. You have Aladdin and you have Jasmine. And then you finally, strangely of all things, have Stitch at the end. <laughs> but um, it's such a wonderful moment when this boat comes so close to you 
and all these characters on it, it is just alive. And it is just a great energy. And Mickey on the mountain, when he appears at the top of the mountain, oh my goodness, the 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 cheers that came up out of the crowd as he appeared, followed by, you know, appearing later on back on the main stage. It just was electrifying in the air. And the pyro and the special effects and everything worked beautifully through this show. It was so good. Now, I have to tell you, I was sitting in front. I managed to get a pretty good seat to get to film the show. And I'm sitting in front of these guys, and one of them's from California. And he's and he's talking about how fantastic Fantasmic is in at Disneyland. And he has never seen Fantasmic here. And so I kind of, I can't believe it, but I you know, join in this conversation and start talking about, you know, you know, you do have a great, you do have a great boat. You know, you, you have the Mark Twain, you have the Columbia ship. That's so cool. You have a Ray Dragon. I have to say, being seated in this arena and not having to sit, stand neck to neck to other people who are just tightly in. And he responded, well, if you're local, you know how to get in without you know, last minute without having to sit there and wait forever. And he's right about that. There are ways I've done that even, and I'm not a local. I've figured it out. But but notwithstanding, it's just so congested and so tight. And I feel like they have marred the beauty of the whole promenade area from what it used to be years ago before it was even fantastic. And they keep adding, it just, it, it just isn't, I, I I don't like the location that they do it. I don't think it's as stunning and as impressive when you're standing on top of the the tavern on Tom Sawyer's Island. It's just not that impressive. It seems more intimate because you're all standing right at the water's edge. But if you sit close to the front, you're just as intimate there. So anyway, we kind of went back and forth, you know, and I kind of acquiesced that yeah Disneyland does have some wonderful things to it and so forth anyway we went through the whole show and when we got to the end of the show that guy turned around to me and he said you're right you do have the better show in my view I think maybe Disneyland has the better show but I think we have the better spectacular. And if you are looking for just that, a spectacle, then Fantasmic hits it on in every way. It just succeeds in delivering an amazing experience. And I think that's I think that's how I would typify. And I mind you, Tokyo's is just it's it's an apple and orange thing. It's so apart from anything and everything. But I got to tell you, the spectacle with all the effects and all the color and all the fountains and all the light, everything added, this show is impressive. In fact, I find as I was driving away that evening and I looked across the spaceship Earth, I started thinking, well, is this the better show? Is this the best show on property? Is this the best entertainment on property? Now, the rated highest for decades has been Festival of the Lion King. And there is something emotional about that show that you can't top. But um, 
And I like enchantment. And I love harmonious. But I have to say, and I would not have said, I would not have said Phantasmic is better than Illuminations or even Harmonious if Harmonious had been around prior to COVID. But the changes they have made to Phantasmic and the effort they have made to really make this show stand out, I don't know. I think if you're only going to see one nighttime spectacular, this is the show to see. It is really delivers on all cylinders and is just it's just a great show and so i can't even though i've over years it's kind of i have to say with it renewed i just i delight i delight to look at the video of it it just brings energy and spark to me and i just and by the way the fantasy festival of fantasy parade i went and did a count they have 39, maybe 40 characters, Disney characters. Now, I didn't include things like the Lost Boys or the mime character from Rapunzel. And by the way, many of these characters are missing because there is no Rapunzel when I went last time. Um, it was before. They haven't, but I haven't seen Brave appear since they've redone the parade. So, so again, it may be a lesser number, but there are 35 characters that appear in Fantasmic. So um, Festival of Fantasy does n nudge above uh, in terms of the number of characters. And then you're not, you know, then you add dancers and performers and all that type of thing. But, but in terms of this moment when all the characters are gathered together in one, in one beautiful moment, I, I, I give it to Fantasmic. It is just wonderful. And I cannot, I cannot endorse enough the suggestion you go check it out and enjoy it. That does it for this Disney at Play podcast. We appreciate you joining us. Those who support this podcast, go and join the Patreon group, which is called the Wayfinder Society. And there they find some really exciting interactive tools and things that they've never had before. Go check it out. You are going to love the Wayfinder Society. And, oh, by the way, wherever you are, whatever your situation is, always follow the compass of your heart. We hope you have a great day. We'll see you real soon.